When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, y'all? We are back with another edition of the DNBR Rams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Justin Michael. We are going to get into a lot on this episode. I'm going to give some keys for CSU football in a big game against Utah State. I'm going to talk about what we've learned about the Mountain West so far at this stage of the season. I feel like we have a pretty good gauge as far as who the contenders are, who are the teams knocking on the door that are frisky, could potentially make some noise, who's focused on the bigger picture, basically, you know, moving forward at this point, you know, I guess that would be the nice way to say it, the the dwellers of the league. Before we get into that, I am going to give my updated top 25 very rapidly, and I'm going to talk about why it's so big for CSU football to be 500 going into the conference slate. I talked about that being a big goal, hadn't done so since 2017. That's also the last time the the Rams made a bowl, but that wasn't a big enough sample size. So I actually went back, did some research, looked at CSU schedules going back to 1990, figured out all the times that they were 500 or better in the non-conference slate and how that translated to postseason success. So we'll get into all of that. Before we do, though, I did just want to briefly basically say thank you to everybody that showed a bunch of love and support. It was a really scary 24 hours. My dad had to go to the emergency room with some heart stuff. He has a history there. So it was, it was scary. I was freaking out and man, I I just, it, it was a really long day. So I appreciate all the love and support that you guys sent my way looking like my dad's going to be okay, but I appreciate you guys praying for him. I appreciate all of the kind messages that were sent my way, it it really means a lot to me. And the support from this community, it's never something I take for granted. I do want you guys to know if you're ever struggling out there, feel free to reach out. If, if you need prayers, you just need someone to hear you talk for a second. You know, I'm, I'm there for you guys. We're a, we're a community, and I mean that very literally. So much love. It, it means the world to me. Thank you. That's really all I can say. All right, now that we covered that, and I just wanted to address it because it's why I wasn't able to get this pot out yesterday like I intended, and because of my tweet, I didn't want to just leave that unaddressed, but now we can talk about football. Let's get into it. Like I said, I'm going to talk about CSU's non-conference success and how that translates historically to them having a successful season, but I did just briefly want to give my updated top 25, haven't done it in a while I know it's a little late at this stage, but I'll give you an updated one next week. And this is just to give you guys an idea of where I view the college football landscape going into week six. Uh, Number one, for the first time this year, I have a new team. I have Michigan. I certainly have the utmost respect for Georgia. I understand that they haven't lost yet. They're a machine. I fully expect them to be in the playoff, but They've just been playing with their food quite a bit, and the the level of dominance hasn't been there. Michigan has looked like the best team in the country to me. They're my preseason pick for a national champion. Um, I'm I'm rolling I'm rolling with the Wolverines. I got them at one. 
At number two, I have Texas. I think they have the most impressive win of anybody in the country going into Tuscaloosa. I know Alabama hasn't been quite the same, though they are kind of figuring some things out with Milrow and defensively, I mean, Dallas Turner, one of the best edge rushers in the country. At three, I've got Georgia. They're still Georgia. I mean, they're they're not being quite as dominant, but they're still undefeated. They've got a cakewalk of a schedule, so they're going to be one of those teams that's kind of hard to to gauge until the end of the year, but I certainly have every belief that they will be in the mix at four, maybe controversial. I'm going Washington. I think that offense with Penix and Romudunze at wide receiver looks pretty much unstoppable with as much love as we have for USC and, and what they're doing with Caleb Williams, and he's insane. I think Washington or Oregon are probably the best teams in the league. Top to bottom, I just feel better about them. I think they're more complete, especially on that defensive side. I just have I have no trust for that USC defense under Alex Grinch. I know they're athletic. I know they can rush the quarterback. They force turnovers, but they just have no interest in tackling whatsoever. I don't think you can win a national championship that way. Number five, I've got Florida State. LSU win doesn't look quite as impressive, but... You know, you still have the win over Clemson. They survive a scare on the road at Boston College. That offense, you know, Keon Coleman, Jordan Travis, firing on all cylinders, excited to see if they can make this push. It's been a while since Florida State's been in the mix at the end of the year. Six, I'm going Penn State. I think they have a really solid offensive situation. For the first time, you feel pretty good about their quarterback. Really love their defensive line. Love the secondary. They're a dangerous team. I think they're the biggest threat to Michigan outside of Ohio State, obviously, or I mean really ahead of Ohio State in my opinion, but I think those are the three that are going to be in the mix. At seven, I'm going Oregon. I had them surpass USC, who I have at eight, basically based on how did you play against CU and Oregon with a much more decisive victory. I understand it was at home versus in Boulder, but that soft USC defense is going to cost them. There's too many good offenses in the Pac-12. There's too many good quarterbacks, and as much as I love Caleb Williams, I just struggle to see them going all the way through this running the table. Feels like a classic, you know, letdown for the Trojans where they go 10 and 2 or something and still don't win the league. At number nine, I'm going Alabama. Dropped them all the way down to like 13 at one point, but they are starting to figure things out. At 10, I've got Oklahoma quietly, really dominant. Huge weekend for them, obviously, with a, a game against Texas, who I have at number two. Love a good top 10 showdown, especially at this stage of the year. I'm interested to see if Oklahoma can get revenge. Lost 49-0 to zero last year. Total butt whooping. Anyways, at 11, I'm going Notre Dame. Continually impressed Hartman doing his thing at quarterback. At 12, I've got Washington State, but I really think they're close to cracking the top 10. What they're doing with Cam Ward offensively, insane. I feel very dumb for doubting that team going in. But, I mean, in my defense, they really did. They didn't finish the, the season strong last year after that hot start this year. Seems like they might be able to sustain it, which is impressive. 13, I'm going Utah. Dropped them a couple spots after losing. That said, I still think they are a big threat in the Pac-12. They just got to get Cam Rising back. I mean, they're on their third-string quarterback. Tough situation, even still. Really impressive resume. They're a team that's going to be in the mix. Then I've got North Carolina, Ole Miss, Oregon State, um, at 17, Miami, 18, Duke, Duke quietly a threat in the ACC. At 19, I've got Missouri, 20, Kentucky, 21, Tennessee. Then we've got our first of two Mountain West teams in my top 25, 
Fresno State at 22, Louisville at 23, Air Force at 24, and then I actually had Kansas State at 25, but they'll be falling out after losing a Friday night game in Stillwater to Oklahoma State. Went down double digits, were able to make it interesting, had a chance to go down and tie it. Uh, they did the thing, which apparently the math supports, admittedly I'm not so smart enough to know, but the, the big trend in football now is when you're down 14 in the fourth quarter on the first touchdown to go for two. I guess the, the numbers say that it increases your win probability. I'm old school to me. I'd rather just be down the one score guaranteed and have a chance to go for the win on the second touchdown. But again, I, I'm not disputing that the, the math is, is correct or anything. It's just, it's weird for me to see it. And it, it backfired on K-State in this instance. All right, that's my top 25 for week six. If you want to see my power rankings, go check out this week's episode of DNVR Rams Live. You can also see the graphic on the DNVR Rams Twitter page. Before we move on, do you want to shout out Saturday Neon, company started by two friends, former college roommates. They make officially licensed collegiate logo LED neon signs. Whether you're a diehard fan or a casual supporter, you're going to love the way these things light up in green and gold. Saturday Neon signs are made with high-quality materials. They're backed by a two-year warranty. They ship with everything you need to mount, power, and dim, so every sign is easy to install and operate. They're officially licensed for 19 select schools, including CSU, CU, Alabama, Arizona, Wisconsin, so many others. They're great for offices. They're great for man caves, dorm rooms, basements, wherever. Go to SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR for 10% off your order today. Free shipping for orders over $200. Also want to talk to you guys about our partners at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' first-ever adult-only casino resort. They have the world's largest sports book. It's three stories. It's stadium-style. takes 10 people to operate their 78-million-pixel screen. There's great food options. I'm a big fan of Victory Burger and Wings. Ate there twice when I was out there last time. They've got VIP options, including the Dugout Club, the Legends Club, the Champions Club, so many clubs. There's a 7,000-square-foot casino with two levels with over 1,300 slots, 48 table games with dancing dealers. And that's not even talking about Stadium Swim. Circa has a 15,000-square-foot area of wet space. It's open 365 days a year, six pools, two spas. They have 143-by-40-foot LED screens so you can watch sports poolside. It's living the high life. If you're heading out to Vegas for Broncos, Raiders, for a CSU game, for Avs Nights, anything, make sure you stay at Circo Resort and Casino. Book your stay. Use the code DNVR20 for 20% off. You can also download the Circo Sports app in the state of Colorado. Circo Sports bets can be made only while physically located in the state of Colorado. Must be 21 or older. All rights reserved. Circo Sports Colorado encourages you to gamble responsibly. Gambling problem, call or text 1 800 Gambler or visit problemgamblingcolorado.org. Cool, cool, cool. Let's get right on into this. Let's talk about why it's so important that the Rams went 500 in the non conference slate. I'm sure by now you have heard repeatedly that this was the first time CSU has done so since 2017. That's the last time that the Rams made a bowl game. That's the last time the Rams beat Utah State. So, I mean, a, a lot of history. If they win this game in Utah State, really going to start feeling good. But I was curious as far as when CSU finishes 500 or better in the non-conference slate, how does that translate to their ultimate season success? And what I found was going back to 1990, 
The Rams have finished 500 or better in the non-conference slate 17 total times, including the 2023 season. So if we remove that, it was 16 times before this year. 12 out of those 16 times, they made a bowl game. 14 of those 16 seasons, they finished with a 500 or better record. Remember, back in the 90s, you could go 7-5, and 8-4, and four, and still not make a bowl game, which is something that happened to CSU under Sonny Lubick twice. The important takeaway, obviously, though, is that when the Rams finish 500 or better in the non-conference slate, way more times than not, 14 out of 16 times since 1990, they end up finishing with a 500 or better record. So CSU, historically, when they do this, they end up having at least a respectable year. And to me, that makes sense, honestly. I mean, most years, outside of when they've been just a train wreck, the Rams have at least been competitive in, in the conference play. I mean, you can look at last year as a perfect example. Outside of Boise State, they pretty much had an opportunity to win seven of those league games. They did win three of them. That's kind of where you're going to be a lot of seasons in that three to five conference win range. If you win six plus, you're in the mix for a championship. If you win less than three, you're, you're certainly going to miss a bowl game. But if, if you can you know, go 500 in the league slate, if you go 500 in the non-conference slate, you're going to be in the postseason more times than not, especially now when you have a million different bowls. So I just, I thought it was interesting to see that. I mean, going back to 1990, the Rams have only made three bowls when they didn't have a 500 or better record in the non-conference slate. Funny enough, 1990, that Earl Bruce year where they win the Freedom Bowl against Oregon. 2001, they finished one and three in a really challenging non-conference slate, still ended up making a bowl. And uh, 2005, they went one and two in the non-conference slate Only played 11 regular season games that year. I think it was because a game got canceled because of a hurricane or something like that. I don't know. It was interesting to see the the fluctuation and the total of non-conference games that CSU played in various years. Sometimes it would only be three. Most years it's four, but there were times where they played five, even six non-conference games, depending on how many current teams were like in the whack. It was it was just fun to go through the history. So to summarize my long-winded point here, if you're excited about CSU being 2-2 and and somebody looks at you and goes, big whoop, why is that that big of a deal? Well, going back to 1990, when they go 500 or better in the non-conference slate, the Rams finish 500 or better in the regular season 87.5% of the time. All right, that concludes this week's episode of Math with Justin. I I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I spent far too long researching all of it, so hopefully the payoff was there. But let's get into this Utah State game because this is just an important matchup for the Rams. This is a game that typically is competitive. You've had five one-score finishes over the last nine years. No game has been decided by more than two scores. 15 is the biggest margin of victory. And three of the games have been decided on the last play of regulation. It's just one of those matchups that seems to always be tight. I mean, you look at the all-time series, it's within two games. Rams have a slim lead despite losing the last four. Last year's game was a four-point game. One of those that left a bad taste in your mouth because it was certainly winnable, but they let it slip away. Could really make the same argument about the 2021 debacle, the 2018 fail Mary. I mean, there have been a lot of games that were right there for the taking. Feels like a big test for CSU. 
you won a wonky game against an FCS team. That's an area where CSU struggled over the last five years. You passed that test. You won a game on the road against a quality G5 opponent, not something CSU did very often over the last five years. You passed that test. Now you got another one. Can you go into Logan and beat a team that's beaten you four straight times? You haven't won in Logan since 2017. How do you do it? What are some of the keys to this matchup? Well, let's talk about it. I, I would say third down efficiency is something that I'm really curious about in this game. As it currently stands, CSU converting 46% of the time, which is good for number 35 nationally. It's really been a strength for the CSU offense and a big factor to why they're putting points on the board, to why they're sustaining drives. It's going to be a big key in this one. Utah State currently converting at 36%, which is not great. You'd like to be above 40% if you can but it's not awful either. They're tied for 95th in the country with Michigan State. What's going to be interesting is both of these teams are, on the defensive side, struggling to get off the field. CSU allowing teams to convert 46% of the time on third down. Utah State allowing the teams to convert 42% of the time on third down. Whichever defense is able to get off the field more consistently in this one, you know, string together some timely stops, I think it's going to be a major factor because we know that these are two of the most explosive offenses in the conference. They can both really throw the ball. They've got great receivers. It's really going to be challenging for both of these secondaries in this one. Third down defense going to be a big key. Another key I have, finding balance. Utah State allowing 180 yards per game on the ground. I mean, they're also allowing 240 plus yards to the air, but I do think this is an opportunity for the Rams to maybe establish the run a little bit. We'll see who's in the backfield, but I'm just really curious to see what the game plan looks like. He didn't run the ball a ton early on against Utah Tech. They had a ton of success through the air, obviously. But I'd like to see them build on what they accomplished on the ground. I thought it was pretty key in two of those scoring drives CSU had. You are able to just kind of get some positive momentum going with Van Shield on some of those quick hitters up the gut, go for four or five yards a pop. No, they're not home runs or, or you know, 70-yard touchdown runs or anything like that, but it just keeps the defense honest. And having that success also set up to QB keeper for BFN in the red zone. Just want to see the Rams to continue to improve on the ground. It's going to be really important if they want to be taken seriously, if they want to make some actual noise in the league. All right, the next key that I have is going to be pressuring the quarterback, making Cooper Legas, who I assume will be the starter. He led the Aggies to a comeback at UConn, after McKay Hillstead went down, Hillstead a better pure passer. More dangerous over the top, in my opinion. It's the reason they switched to him. Legas played really good against UConn. That defense was a disaster. But from what I saw throughout the majority of last year, and the reason why I believe they ultimately went to Hillstead over him, is that he's just not a major threat to beat you consistently, especially in like the intermediate passing game he doesn't have a huge arm can kind of throw a decent deep ball get some air under it but he's not a guy that's going to rip it to the sidelines on some of those throws up the seam I don't know I, I just feel like if CSU had any type of offense they would have beat him pretty comfortably last year I'm not trying to dog the guy or anything like that but make him prove that he can beat you consistently in tight coverage with some with some strong arm throws you know get after him as it currently stands, Utah State allowing about two and a half sacks per game. Not terrible. I mean, CSU only allowing one and a half, which has been just night and day from what we saw last year. But generating pressure, making him 
prove that he can make throws consistently. I think that's going to be a, a major factor in this one. And then you got to keep containment. I mean, he is a guy that can scramble a little bit. We've seen that present some issues for the Rams with Shador, with Vadiato and, and MTSU, and obviously Cam Ward of Washington State. Get after the quarterback, but do so responsibly. Make sure you're practicing lane discipline or gap discipline, you know, staying in your rush lanes. Really interested to see what happens there. Uh, turnover margin, I think, is a, is a big factor. Utah State plus one on the year. CSU minus three. It's, it's the great equalizer. I mean, it, it was a major factor in their first two losses. It, it could have cost them last week. Fortunately, it didn't. would like to see CSU force a few turnovers and obviously not make the same type of mistakes that they made in that Utah Tech game. The self-inflicted wounds, you know, the penalties, turnovers, that type of stuff, that's the biggest area these Rams need to clean up. Finally, don't beat yourself on special teams. We all remember 2021. We all remember a couple years stretch there where they had uh, I think it was Scarver was his name, the dangerous returner. He returned like three kicks against CSU in his career. Special teams can be huge. You can find a way to return a punt or a kick, you know, create a play yourself, but just make sure you don't beat yourself. Not sure who it's going to be at kicker, if Noyes is going to be able to go, if it's going to be Ashton Wolf again. So far this year, I would say that special teams have largely been a strength for the Rams. You just want to see that continue to to do so. Or you want to see them continue to do so to execute well on special teams can be a major factor, especially on the road. All right, we're going to wrap up here just with some thoughts on the league as a whole, going to talk about who I feel like I was right about as far as my preseason predictions went, who I was not high on, too high, all that stuff. When you get hurt, though, Bax and Shanker, they're here to help. Bax and Shanker win for Colorado families. They have been helping those who are seriously injured in Colorado for more than 25 years. They're free until they win money in your case. No upfront fee to speak with you about your case. No fee while they work on your case. No fee unless they win your case and win money for you. Bax and Shanker has won over $1 billion for their clients, now with even more locations serving all of Colorado, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Englewood, and Port Collins. Bax and Shanker have the strength and power to win your case with more than 30 lawyers and 100 staff. Bax and Shanker help with all kinds of injury cases where you weren't at fault. Car accident, motorcycle, ride, chair, pedestrians, trucks. They can even help if you're injured at work. Call Bax and Shanker at 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Bax and Shanker wins. I also want to shout out our friends at Breckenridge Brewery. You know we love Breck Brew at DNVR, and that's because Breck Brew has a beer for any occasion. There's no better way to watch a game than having an ice-cold Breck Brew in hand. That's because they've been doing it for 33 years. It all comes down to their love and passion for making good beer, and they've got something for everybody. The, The variety is endless. Right now, the beer of the month is the Broncos Country Hoppy Ale, new recipe. I encourage you to check it out. Sit Can, one of the coolest beer designs I've ever seen. I am also a big Mountain Beach Sour fan. You can never go wrong with the Avalanche Amber Ale. If you can't make it to DNVR, check out the Farmhouse in Littleton. The Breck Brew Broncos Watch Party is a lot of fun. They've got great food, great beer. They've got an outdoor seating, indoor seating. It really is an awesome spot. Make sure you also check out the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find a brew near you. All right, before we get out of here, I just kind of wanted to give a couple more thoughts on the league as a whole. This is something I discuss during my power ranking segment every Thursday, but I, I just wanted to dive into it a little bit more, starting with the front runners, the teams most likely to be in that Mountain West Championship conversation. I think you got to go Fresno State and Air Force, both 5-0, and so they're easy picks, but 
it's the consistency on both sides of the ball. Both have, both have great D's. Uh, Mikey Keene has been so great at quarterback for Fresno State Air Force. They're just humming right now. I mean, they're running the ball. They're throwing it a little bit. They look real dangerous. Those are the top two teams in the, in the league based on what we've seen. And then I would put Wyoming just, just a notch below them. I think their front seven is insane. But at, at the same time, I just wonder if offensively, despite how well they're running the ball and, and Harrison Whaley has just been a monster for them in the backfield, I don't know. I mean, Peasley, he's been tough. He's hes executing it well. He's making good decisions. I just wonder in a tight game, if you need him to put 35 plus on the board, would he be able to do it? Would he be able to make those throws consistently enough? I don't know. And I, I just have him a small, small notch below those other two teams. In the, the next tier, I would say you put UNLV, CSU, and Boise State. UNLV 4-1, and one, they're making things interesting. I'm curious to see if they can sustain it defensively been really impressed their d-line's legit they're running the football they've got an identity under odom and it's it's fun to see i mean it's been so long since unlv's been a factor that game in vegas could be really tough certainly it looks like it'll be tougher than i expected coming in but it could also have some legitimate conference championship implications which when was the last time we said that csu and unlv having conference championship implications got to go back to like oh two uh boise state I I'd certainly have all the respect for them as a program. I still think they have good athletes defensively. They haven't been as solid, but they are getting more steady as the season goes on. Janty's a stud at running back. I just think they're in a weird spot right now. They lost some games that historically they probably would have found a way to pull out. And it kind of feels like they're in panic mode under Avalos to me. Maybe that's just me speaking ignorantly without enough information, but I don't understand why they're, trying to manufacture a quarterback controversy. I understand Green hasn't been as solid as expected, but he can just do things physically that most humans can't. And I think that ability to break two or three big plays a game, especially with the growth he showed as a passer as the year went on last year, I I don't know why you would move away from him at this stage just because you lost a couple of tight games. That'd be a mistake to me. It'll be interesting to see Maddox more of a traditional pocket passer, though. He can kind of scramble around and, and do some things with his legs, too. Uh, next, I've got San Jose State. I don't really know how to gauge this team. Defensively, they're horrible, which makes sense, given all the talent that they lost in that front seven. I still think Chevin Cordero's a stud. I think they've got great receivers. I also think they've played just a brutal schedule. I mean, Oregon State, USC right off the bat. Even Toledo's a tough game on the road, but they've certainly underwhelmed. I mean, Cordero was the preseason offensive player of the year. You expected more from this team. I, I think they could be two and three even, and you would feel a lot better. But to be sitting there at one and four, it's a disappointment. San Diego State, two and four. They are who I thought they were. Defensively, they've taken a step back. Now they've got guys leaving the team. But offensively, they're just limited. I mean, they're going to be able to run the ball every now and then, but Maiden's just not going to be able to beat teams enough consistently through the air. Honestly, I'm getting closer and closer to putting them below New Mexico. New Mexico's offense kick San Diego State's ass. Hopkins is a way better quarterback. They've got a run game going. Their O-line's held up. I mean, if they shore some things up defensively, they're going to be a bowl team, which, again, I'm really rooting for that. I've been open about rooting for Gonzalez, for rooting for that program. I have a soft spot for Albuquerque, for Lobos fans. I'd like to see them in the postseason. Finally, at the bottom, we've got Hawaii and Nevada. Hawaii more frisky. They've been in most games defensively. They're a disaster. Their O-line feels a lot like CSU last year. 
And then Nevada is just the bottom. I think in, in Kevin Lytle's piece this week where he essentially did what I do every week with the, the power rankings, but he wrote, you know, it, it's not impossible that, or he doesn't expect that Nevada will go winless this year, but it's certainly on the table. And if, you know, they lose to New Mexico, they could certainly lose to Hawaii. It's going to be looking very likely. Currently the nation's longest losing streak. It extends back to last year. Tough spot for the Wolfpack since Jane Orville left. That's just a bad football team. And frankly, I think they have a bad football coach as well. All right, that's all I've got for today. We'll be back later uh, Saturday night postgame for the CSU-Utah State postgame show. Another edition at DNVR Rams Live. I believe D-Line will be joining me, so I'm looking forward to that. Hope you guys are able to tune in. Make sure uh, you like us and subscribe on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up when possible. If you've got questions, comments, any of that for me, make sure you get in on that YouTube stream. I'll answer them in the third segment. Going to be a blast. Looking forward to seeing if CSU can take care of business. As always, y'all, much love. Proud to be. Go Rams. Scummy like Martin Scarelli, turn jam into jelly, then drink it like juice. The water's the truth, so I sip on that too. Skinny looking kid with no car keys, like the only thing I drive is RCRV. He's got the stash like Steve Harvey. Oh, I'm gnarly.